for the director of music of David, a psalm. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I'm awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would speak truth into our hearts. If our hearts are hard, please soften them to what you have to say today. If our hearts are full of grief and pain, please comfort us with your great love. If our hearts are indifferent, please stir us in love and obedience to you. For Jesus' name's sake, amen. In 1966, the Liberal MP, David Steele, introduced a private member's bill to reform abortion legislation in this country. Up until then, abortion was illegal. His aim, I genuinely believe his aim was humanitarian, to, to prevent the suffering and sometimes death of women at the hands of what were criminal backstreet abortionists. But in David Steele's own words... It is not the intention of the promoters of the bill to leave wide open a door for abortion on request. It is still the case today that abortion on demand is illegal in this country. 
and that women could only have an abortion if it's sanctioned by two doctors. However, the categories that allow an abortion to occur, especially those granted to do with the mental health of the mother, are so broad that effectively in the UK today it is widely accepted that we have abortion on demand, up to 24 weeks of pregnancy. In the first full year after the Act, 1968, there were 54,000 abortions recorded. In 1974, there were 169,000. And in 2007, there were 205,000 abortions. That means approximately 9,300,000 babies have been aborted since the Act was passed in 1967. To give you a comparison of the total numbers, the total number of service personnel killed and missing from Great Britain and the Commonwealth in World War II, which we remembered last week, was 580,497. The total number of civilians killed across the entirety of Great Britain and the Commonwealth in the Second World War is estimated at 60,000. Now, no one is pro-abortion. Even those who are in favor of it see it as an unfortunate necessity. What they're in favor of is a woman's right to choose to end the life of the unborn child within her. No one is pro-abortion. There are people who are pro choice. And whether you agree with this or not is largely, it largely depends on what you see a pregnancy as. When you believe a person, a human being, comes into existence and what you believe that person's rights are. So if you think a person comes into being at birth, then you will not think that abortion is wrong at any stage of pregnancy. You will not see abortion as the right of one human being to choose to kill another human being, but you'll see it rather as the right of a woman to have a medical procedure performed on a part of her body. If you think a person comes into being when certain physical and, and mental capacities have been developed by the baby in a womb, then you may well be in favor of early-term abortion. But, but if you think a person comes into being when, when an embryo implants in the wall of a womb, then you'll think that preventing that implantation with, say, the morning-after pill is acceptable, and you'll be also in favor of using those embryos within medical research, and you'll be in favor of IVF that creates multiple embryos and, and then destroys those that are not used. However, if you think that a human being comes into existence at contraception, fertilization, when sperm and egg come together, then it's most likely that none of the things that I've mentioned will be acceptable to you. And what we have to do as Christians is we have to decide what God's Word has to teach us about the nature of life in the womb. At what point God regards a person as being created in his image? When does human life begin according to the Bible. And we have to let God's Word shape our view of the world and to shape our actions as His people in our world. That's why we're looking at Psalm 137 today, 139. Uh, there's going to be a, a lot in our Psalm 139, but, but unashamedly we're homing in on what it tells us about the unborn, precisely because it's the biblical view of the sanctity of life that we need to understand. Now, whatever your view on abortion, uh, the Bible's very clear that, that God's love and God's grace 
and forgiveness are freely given to all. As statistics suggest that one in five pregnancies in this country ends in abortion. That, that figure does drop amongst Christians. However, it still means that here this morning, there'll be women for whom this is a deeply personal and painful issue. There'll be men who feel that they've failed women in not caring for them. Or even maybe who feel guilt that they've coerced a woman into doing something that she didn't want to do. It's inevitable that when we look at this issue, there'll be people who either feel grief and guilt daily about their part in abortion or have, have suppressed those feelings, maybe over many, many years, to, to numb the pain. And more, more than anything else, if that is you this morning, what you need to hear is this, that you have a Father in heaven who so loves you that he gave his one and only Son to, to go through untold pain and suffering at the cross. So you could be cleansed from all guilt and shame. That, that he loves you even when you can't love yourself. That he loves you and forgives you whatever you have done. Whether it was before you came to Christ or whether you did it as a child of God. And God's grace is more than enough to cover all of your sin. And, and if God gave up his son for us, won't he graciously give us all things? See, see, we don't want you to suffer alone. We want you to get the help and comfort that you need. That's why today, both after the service and after David's presentation, there'll be people available for you to talk and pray with. If you remember, there'll be people wearing a, a little sticker with, with their name written in red on. It, it may well be that you'd rather contact one of our, our ministry team privately later on. Can, can I urge you to do that? We have a God who already knows your grief and pain. Psalm 139 is going to show us that, whose love is intimate and personal. Because it's the, the intimate and personal nature of, of the Lord's commitment to him that causes David to write this psalm. Here's the first thing we see in Psalm 139. David says, your knowledge of me is wonderful. Uh, just look at verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Uh, this isn't you know about me, the events of my life. This is you know me personally, relationally. Uh, the same no word is used to describe the intimacy of sex between Adam and Eve in Genesis 4. You are deeply committed to me in relationship, Lord. That's what David's saying. And like a lover who can't get their beloved off their mind, the Lord is constantly thinking of David when he gets up and when he goes to bed. But, but the Lord doesn't just have David on his mind. He knows what we have on our minds. He is familiar with all our ways, says David. And do you see how far his knowledge goes in verse 4? Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Our unspoken words, that's, that's our thoughts, all known by God. Even before we speak to him, he knows what is on our hearts. And this is not some sort of long-distance relationship. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. The Lord is close. He is never away from us, and we are never away from him. 
No wonder David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too, too lofty for me to attain. And if you doubt that, that God is personally committed to you in relationship, well, of course, we, we need to look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is the king who has been in personal relationship with God in all eternity. He is the son of his loving heavenly father. But, but he's also the Lord who, who comes close. He is the eternal creator who, who is so intimately close to us that the Apostle John, in writing to Christians, could say this about Jesus. That which was from the beginning, the eternal, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. If you'd been alive 2,000 years ago around Israel, you could have literally touched God. See, God has, has drawn so close in the person of his son that, that we sometimes sing here at CEC, yes, he walked my road and he felt my pain, joys and sorrows that I know so well. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. God with us even through the shame and pain of abortion. God with us when we feel so alone. God with us when there was no one else to turn to. See, whatever your grief and sorrow, whatever your present struggles and temptations, whatever the burden you bear or the fears you have, the Lord knows. He is with you. And he is so committed to you that he sent his one and only son for you. Because next, David speaks to God and he says, your care for me is inescapable. That's the next thing. Look at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It's almost as though David wants to escape, as though he briefly believes the lie that controls so many people. A lie that a life without God, a life where I am God, where I decide the path to take, the decisions I make, that life would be best. But, but there's nowhere to hide. Not, not even in the farthest reaches of space. Not even in the deepest trench in the ocean. He cannot get out of the house before God is up. He cannot emigrate to a country where God is not. Look at the commitment of, of verse 10. Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. See, the Lord's got a hold of David's life. Wherever he tries to flee God, God reaches out in love. He stretches out his arm in grace to, to draw him back, even in the darkest moments. You see, verse 11, I think, more literally reads, and I should say, the darkness, of course, will crush me. Night is, is light around me. Have you ever felt like that? All hope has been extinguished? crushed, bruised, maybe by the darkness of evil, so that, so that night and day blend into one period of sort of fitful, wakeful sorrow. Verse 12, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. See, our God is the Lord who turns the despair of night into the joy of day. 
Again, John says of Jesus in his gospel, John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It's not just that, that God is with you. He is also for you. So for you that when you're not for him, he still chases you down. He searches you out. He grasps you as you plunge through life, falling through one self-made disaster after another. He draws you to his embrace. Why do we know this? Because the sky went dark over Jerusalem as Jesus hung on a cross. As Jesus bore all the darkness of our sin and shame. As he died for the way we don't just try and escape God's presence, but we throw his love back into his face. We offend him and cause pain to others. So Jesus let the darkness overcome him so we could be free from the darkness of our guilt. And on the third day, light poured into an empty tomb. And light shone out from the angels who proclaimed, He is not here, He has risen. So now we live in the light of God's love. And one day we will live in a renewed and perfect world where there will be no darkness at all, no night. And we won't bask in the sun. We will bask in the light of the glory of God pouring forth forth from the face of our beautiful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know me inside out, Lord. Your care for me is inescapable. And here's the reason. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. It's the third thing. Your creation of me is deeply personal. You see, being human is a, is a precious privilege. You're not just a naked ape. You're not just the best thing that evolution has produced so far in the history of the world. This is why the Lord is, is intimately with David and utterly committed to him in love. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. No part of David is uncreated. He, he's never been just a blob of cells doing what they do. His embryo was not simply a deterministic biological process. It was David being knit together by the Lord. See, God's active in every stage of development of the unborn child. And that's, that's not a controversial thing to say for, for a Christian because we know that God is the author of all life. He, we know he holds the universe together by the power of his will. We don't simply come into being randomly. That's why David can say in verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do you see how this, this act of creation is personal? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And this act is intentional. I am made by the Lord. The Lord was even involved in David's antenatal history. Do you see that in verse 15? My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
It's not that David failed his GCSE biology. You know, to the question, where do babies come from? He answered, oh, they grow in the garden. Now, he knows there's an intimate and secret start at conception. And then a dark, warm place of nutrition in, in the womb where life is woven together. And the language actually deliberately reminds us of Genesis 1, the first book of the Bible, when God creates out of darkness and, and brings light and life. And God was involved in David's life before he was even a twinkle in his mother's eye, before he even began. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. A personal plan laid out before conception. It's, it's rather like the, uh, the parents and baby brains. Do you know that the baby brains books, they're quite a favorite with our kids. His, his parents play baby brains classical music while he's in the womb. And they read uh, the bump great works of science and literature. So that when baby brains is born, he instantly starts talking and is a total genius from birth. I, I used to say to Booze Bump, that became uh, our eldest, Bethan, you will play rugby. You will play rugby and support Wales. <laughs> See, God's intimately involved. He's got great plans. He, he, he knows every detail of David's life. Verse 17 could actually be translated, how precious are your thoughts concerning me? God, how vast the sum of them. And do you see how there's only one me in all of David speaking about himself and God? As soon as he is conceived, he is me. He is him. The one who God made. The one who God has a plan for. He's a person. A human, uniquely created in God's image. With not just the physical reality of existence, but also the special reality of spiritual relationship with God, that, that precious spiritual relationship with the Lord. See, there's not a point in the physical development of David that he becomes a human being, that there are not functions and abilities that define him as a human being, because being human is a gift of God in creation. He bestows his image on us. We don't earn it by what we do, he just gives us our value, our status, our dignity. They're not a result of what we can do, but simply who we are. People created to know God. That, that's why we, we treat disabled people with dignity. They're precious people created in the image of God. That's why we treat the elderly and infirm with dignity. They are precious people created in the image of God. That's why we treat those who in life are utterly dependent on others for survival and care with dignity. Because they are precious people created in the image of God. And we are all utterly dependent on the ongoing care of the Lord for our survival. And that is why the unborn child is a human being from conception. From the moment the egg is fertilized. And must be treated with dignity and the same status as any other human being. They are no more a potential human being than the one-year-old who can't care for themselves is a potential two-year-old. That is why abortion is wrong. 
is the ending of the life of a human baby. And there are no circumstances when it is justifiable to end life, unless it's a question of the baby's life and the mother's life being lost, unless medical intervention occurs. It's about saving life. And you know there are so few cases of that in the United Kingdom that in the official statistics, they make up 0% of the abortions carried out in any given year. Now, now, I understand, I guess some of you, lots of you, might have questions about what I've said. I guess many of you might have objections. And I, I want to encourage you to take up the offer to discuss those things with me or, or with one of the elders or the ministry team. It is vital that we continue to work out why the, what the Bible has to say about our world. So, so we share the desires of our loving God and his creation. Because that's the attitude that that David ends this psalm with. You see, he's blown away by the intimacy of the, the Lord's relationship with him, and so he ends by saying to God, your concerns are my concerns. Look at verse 19 with me. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. It, it seems a bit like a sort of brutal change of gear, like we've, we've, we've got a different psalm here. But, but in one way, it's the most natural response. You see, David's just realized how he owes everything to the Lord who created him, the Lord who's committed to him, the Lord who constantly cares for him. He, his life is inseparably bound to God. And so he says, what you're against, I'm against. And what you're for, I'm for. You see, when, when you love someone, your emotions are bound to how they're treated, aren't you? So, so if you're a husband, would you stand by while someone just insulted your wife maliciously? And if you're a mother, would you stand by while your child was being bullied? And if you're a friend, would you, would you stand silently whilst your friend was, was being slagged off in a group? See, David is bound to God in a, a, a relationship of mutual love. So he says, I'm against those who do evil. I'm against those who, who misuse your name. I'm against those who hate you. At the end of verse 22, he says, if they're your enemies, I count them my enemies. And that's why we can't be people who ignore the things in our world that God is against. We can't just turn a blind eye to poverty and injustice. We can't turn a blind eye to loneliness and lack of friendship and love that dominates so many people's lives. And we can't turn a blind eye to abortion. And that's why we've invited Dave to come and speak to us about the work of Brefos. That's why, actually, as a church, we must provide information, practical care, and loving support for anyone who faces the deep, painful, emotional crisis of an unwanted pregnancy. And I think as a church, probably we've got something to repent of there. For the long as I've been here as senior pastor, you could walk through our building if you were someone who had an unwanted pregnancy and there is nothing visible to help you. That is why we must lay down our comfort and our concerns and our cash so that we can care for those who God deeply cares about. 
we must simply not be against what God is against in our minds. Oh, that is a terrible thing. We must be proactively and sacrificially working to bring the light of God's love into the darkness of broken lives. And David ends by saying, what you're for, I'm for. You see, in verse 1, David said, God searched me, you've searched me. And in one way, did you see the Lord's, the Lord's intimate knowledge was sort of a threat to him? He didn't feel entirely comfortable having his secrets laid bare even before God. But, but now he knows the Lord is so much for him, so with him, that, that he prays, verse 23, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, that's the humility we all need. We all stand before God. I stand before God as one who knows that there is a Lord who knows the deepest, darkest secrets of our hearts. There's no point in trying to, to hide them from him. There's so much about every one of us here this morning that is offensive to the God who's loved us. And with David, we must ask the Lord, oh Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. Lead, lead me to the one who is, is the way, the truth and the life. Lead me to the Lord Jesus Christ and fix my eyes upon the cross where he shed his blood for me that I might be cleansed, that he took me your enemy, that I might become your precious child, that he showed your commitment to me now and for all eternity. Fix my eyes on him. Lead me to Jesus that my heart's desire might be to walk daily with him, secure in his love, and determined to honor him in my life. Determined to honor him in our life together as a church. And in our love for the weak and for the helpless in our world. Psalm 139 presents us with a God who knows us intimately, deeply, and personally. Before even our parents thought of having us. Before any parent thinks or doesn't think about having a child. We need to love all people as our God loves them. A moment's quiet. We bow our heads. And we'll just ask the Lord to speak into our hearts. Maybe there's something you want to say to the one who already knows your thoughts. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. We know that full well. We thank you that though we have so distorted your image in us, you set your love upon us in the Lord Jesus before the creation of the world and sent him to live the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died that we can now be your children. 
as your children, help us to be what you're, to be for what you're for and against what you're against. Give us wisdom, our Father, in how to do this. And where we have failed, Lord, comfort us. Thank you that you are the one who knows us intimately. You're the one whose care for us is inescapable. You're the one who is with us and has been with us always. Draw close and comfort us with the enormity of your forgiving love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.